Hello, friends, and thanks for joining us today for the Hillcrest Covenant Church podcast. This week, we welcomed Reverend Todd Slepta, who spoke out of a passage in John chapter 13. As Todd's background is in Old Testament rabbinical thought, he dives deeply into this passage of the Last Supper between Jesus and his disciples. Todd's encouragement for all of us is that even in our mess and our brokenness, Jesus lovingly invites us to his table and calls us his guest of honor. Remember, you can watch our live stream that happens Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., or you can always find us at hillcrestdecalb.com. Grace and peace, friends. Good to be with you. And Flying Gerbil Drunk Men's Club, it's just science. If you have a flying gerbil, you got to be drunk, right? So that's just science. Um, so many touch points uh, that, that Pastor Bill was saying, like, uh, I just became a grandfather, and there, she's two, and so it's melon for us. melon, which, let's call it what it is, it's a cult. <laughs> right? Have you gone on the comment section on the YouTube videos? It's a cult. Watch out for it. Um, the red light, green light thing, let's face it, it's training for blowing through red lights. No, it was, it, it was green. That's what that is. Um, yeah, I met, I was Jen's teacher uh, 20, 22 years ago now. It took her that long to, to trust her, to trust me enough to come before you. <laughs> I, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher uh, more than a preacher. I'm not even sure what the difference is, but, but, but part of my job is, uh, my, my background is in Old Testament and rabbinical thought. And, uh, and then, uh, oh, by the way, the, the praying with hand, the, the, like closing your eyes and praying, I come from a non-Christian family. And my dad uh, is a cynic, but he says he's empathetic. He's sympathetic, is what he says. Um, and so he said the only reason that those holy rollers make us close our eyes when we pray is so they could pick our pocket while we're otherwise diverted. So keep that in mind next time you close your eyes. Um, I also helped start the campus in, Colorado, in Ecuador. So I lived in Ecuador for four years with Covenant Bible College. Um, and that's where I think I want to start. Because part of my job as a teacher is to take something that's familiar with you Take it up, lift it up a little bit, turn it ever so slightly so you see it in a fresh way and it maybe hits you in a fresh way and maybe touches your heart in a fresh way. Now, I'm also a teacher, which means interaction is good. I'm not kidding here when it actually makes me feel more comfortable if in the middle of this you go, actually, I got a question, and you raise your hand and let's just, just talk. Now, um, some of you are going, yeah, that'll, that'll add time. Um, <laughs> you're a lousy student to begin with, all right? So... But that's sort of the idea here is, uh, again, I'm a, preacher more than, I'm a teacher more than a preacher. So, um, but I'm going to start with this. You know, when I was flying back and forth from Ecuador all the time, I used to, we were down there, um, I moved my family down there, and about every six or seven weeks I had to come back up to North America uh, to do some fundraising or teaching up here and things like that. And so I, I flew often um, and, and just sort of got into a rhythm of things. And uh, one time as I was in Houston getting ready for my flight to Quito, Ecuador via Bogota, um, I was just, we were just waiting. You know how you board the plane and you're sort of walking to your seat and you're, you're, you're judging people, like who you're going to sit next to? That's, and if you don't, you're lying. How many of you sat in a seat and put, just literally closed your eyes and prayed, like, not me, not me, sit, keep going, keep going? Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, I get to a seat and my, my companion's sitting there, we do that little, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, we got six hours together. And we, we sat down, you know, and we're just sort of making small talk and, you know, just sort of getting comfortable. And then in the front of the plane, you see two uh, immigration officers come on. 
And they start talking to the flight attendant there and the pilot. And we're both looking at each other going, someone's in trouble. And uh, yeah, they're looking at the manifest and they look down the plane. And, I, and we were like, well, we're going to Bogota. Maybe we got us a drug lord, you know? Um, and so they start walking down the aisle and they're looking at the seats and, and there's two of them, you know? And they, they, you know, we're both looking at each other going, who is it? Like, who is the lucky drug guy that we're going to see taken down? And uh, they walked past my seat, one of them, stopped. And the other one stopped in front of my seat. And they, I looked at my passenger friend, my compañero, and uh, they said, are you Mr. Selecta? And I went, oh, this just got real. <laughs> I said, Yes, and they said, well, will you come with us? Please take your things. And I, I, at that moment, I had the idea of, of just, it's him. I don't know what it was, but it's definitely him. So, but, but then everybody on the plane was going, they got one, they got one. And I had everything one to go, it's not me, whatever it is. They accompany me off the plane, and they get outside. My heart is racing, and I'm thinking, I will never see my wife again. And they said, sir, your passport's expired. If you get to Bogota, they probably won't let you leave, so we just needed to pull you from the plane to make sure you were safe. I said, could you have not said that when you picked me up? <laughs> Let's start with, sir, we'd like to keep you safe. And then this is a whole different kind of, like, kind of, right? Instead, it's, are you Mr. Selecta? Take your things, come with me. I'm guilty. I don't even know what it was. <laughs> I get off the plane, call my wife, said, guess what? I was just busted. And that, you know, and the, but that point when he said, are you... Mr. Selecta, this went from a jovial moment of, eh, whatever, to this just got real. This just got very real, and the stakes are high. Well, if you're willing to walk with me a little bit, we just had communion. My background is in Old Testament rabbinical thought. I've been mentored by two rabbis and a Talmud teacher. And so I call them every now and then and say, here's a passage we're looking at. If you were a Christian, which I know you're not, but if you were, how would you interpret this? And they've really taken me on journeys to see passages in a very different way. So if we work together a little bit, I'm hoping that next time you come to communion, it won't be come forward for communion, but you'll go, this just got real. This just got serious. That's my hope. Let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be ever presentable and acceptable to you. I offer that now in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So there's going to be three movements to this, this lesson, three movements. First is we're going to talk about engagement, rituals, and customs in biblical times. Then we're going to talk about customs that were common at meals, especially significant meals, like Passover. We're going to talk about some customs that were typical in biblical times around then. And then we're going to go to the seats around the table, and we actually have an idea of where some key people were sitting at the Last Supper. Are you willing to journey with me on that? This is, yeah, this is the interactive portion? Okay, good. First, first movement, some marital inter- imagery. Um, let me see if this is working here. Do I have the slides up? Yeah, that's a little creepy. It was, it was, when I was, did this a couple nights ago, it didn't seem as creepy. I'm glad the children are dismissed. <laughs> that's left me with some um, kind of uh, a terror in my mind. So, um, but bottom line is, um, we're going to go through these kind of things. Now, um, when, when, when there's an engagement in Old Testament times, in, in, in biblical times, um, typically the fathers of the, 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 the clans are the ones that made these marriages happen. They were arranged marriages, all right? There was none of the dating things. They didn't have apps. They didn't do anything like that. They, they actually, the fathers negotiated something. 
And when they came to an agreement about a, a, a young man who wanted to marry a young woman, um, when they came to agreement, the fathers of the families would get together and they would take a cup of wine and they would seal the deal, so to speak. So the son would say, Dad, this is the woman I want to marry. That father would go to the other father, go, we'd like to marry your daughter. Um, we, we negotiate back and forth a dowry because, again, I, this is culturally conditioned time, uh, but basically you, he was losing someone in the woman. He was losing someone that would work in his family, so he had to pay for that loss. And so the father would negotiate a price from the son to pay for this daughter to compensate for the loss to the household, and then that's, I know, it's so romantic. It was, you could see, Hallmark has nothing like this. Um, but, so the father, they come to agreement, but when the two fathers came to agreement, the, the one father of the, of the groom would take a sip from a cup, turn and hand it to the father of the, the bride-to-be, and he would take a sip. And then he would turn, the father of the bride-to-be, and he would turn and hand it towards his daughter. Now, this is the one time, the one time when a daughter can say no. Now, don't get me wrong. So after the father takes this drink, he, the father takes a drink, the son takes a drink, the son that was going to become the, 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 the groom, to become the, the husband, gives it to the... She has a choice. Now, I, don't get me wrong. The pressure to say yes is intense in a patriarchal society. But it is the one moment, the one moment when the girl could say no. In a sense, that, that, that the bride-to-be was saying, I take a sip of this. And I turn and I offer it to you. I, take, I, offer, I offer you my life. And this bride-to-be had the choice to say, no, or I accept your life, and I give you mine as well, and takes a sip. But that, that cup sealed an engagement. But there was the one time where a female could say no. Now, I am under no illusions. The intense pressure that would have caused um, is, is, is undeniable, but, but it was there. I accept your life, and I offer you mine as well. Now, here's where it gets good. Then the son would go, great. And they would go back to the house, the son and the father, because they'd go back to the family compound. And then this is where the son begins adding on to the family compound. He's getting ready to be married, right? So he starts building on a room to the family compound. And let me see if I still have, I used to have a, uh, yeah, like, so you could see. Uh, it doesn't work. But, um, they would, like, say on that left building, they'd start building an addition onto that. And the son would be working on it, getting ready for the family. And every now and then, he'd run over to the dad and go, is it ready? And the dad would go, yeah, no, it doesn't meet OSHA code yet. And, and then, uh, so he'd do some more fixes on it. He'd go, what about now? Is it ready now? And the dad would go, yeah, no, not yet. How about you do this, this, and this? The son would work on it. Is it ready now? And the dad would go, it's ready. And you know what that would mean? Time to go get your bride because the house was ready. The son would then go with his father to prepare a dish, and then it was a big procession, a wedding procession. When the father said it was ready, his, the son would get his friends and family, they'd do a wedding procession over and get his bride-to-be. In fact, Scripture picks up on this imagery. Scripture talks about this. Look at John. Don't let your hearts be troubled. It's a familiar verse to many of you, Right? It's getting after this imagery. This, what everybody knew was the engagement custom. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? Do you see what the imagery he's kicking in on? Right away they'd go, oh, I get this. And I will come and get you. 
Do you see the imagery? I'll come get you. But it's got to be ready first. And I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you will know where I am going. Engagement imagery. So far, are you with me? Good, good. Now, during the Passover meal, um, there's four different cups in the liturgy. Uh, when I say liturgy, it's the custom that they do around a table for a Passover meal that they follow ritually every time they celebrate it. So the liturgy. And uh, there's, a, there's a cup called the cup of redemption. And it's, it's the third cup in the liturgy of Passover. Okay? It's the, third, the cup of redemption. Redeem means to set right, to make things right again. Right? To settle it up. That's what redeem means. And this is called the cup of redemption. And it's the third cup in Passover. And I'll tell you what, it comes after the meal. So there's, there's a meal, big meal that happens in the liturgy. And then after the meal, the cup of redemption is, is, is taken. Now, it's important to know that because, again, the Bible assumes you're Jewish. It assumes that you understood Hebraic traditions. It assumes that you know that. And so when 1 Corinthians, oops, you know this one, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine when? That's how we know it's the third cup. Because it comes after supper. That's how we know. It's the cup of redemption, setting things right. He chose that cup on purpose. All right? In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup of redemption. Now, typically, in meals like this, in large gatherings, all the participants usually had one cup. It was a symbolic cup. They all drank from the same one. But the presider of it had four in front of them, typically the patriarch of the family. My family celebrates a, a messianic Passover. My kids do come uh, home, if we can bring them home, and we celebrate a Passover. They each have one cup. We invite friends. And then as I preside, I have four. Okay? So that's how that works. Now, typically in large gatherings, all had one symbolic cup, but the patriarch who was presiding had four. And remember, of, of the four Gospels, who, which one? Matthew's Gospel is the most Jewish of all the Gospels. It's the most Jewish. It, urge, it uses the most Jewish, Jewish imagery, and, and it quotes most of the more Old Testament passages than all the other three Gospels combined. So it's, it's safe to say when Matthew writes, it's easy to say, this is a Jew writing to Jews about a Jew. Okay? It's safe to say that. And it's, it would be empirically true. So, it would be a fair deduction to say that Matthew's audience of all people who are reading this would know and be well-tuned in to all manner of form of Jewish customs, traditions, and ideas. True? Can you agree with me on that? Okay. So, in a sense, Jesus does something pretty interesting. Look what he... And see if you can catch it. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to it, to God for it. He gave it to them and said, each of you drink. What did I just say happens? Typically, what happens? Who ha how many cups does everybody have? One. And when he drinks from a cup, right, what do they do? 
They all drink from their cup, right? What does this say he does? He turns. Do you, you catch the subtlety? He says, look, he took a sip and he goes, and he turns and gives it to him. Now, if you're a Jew, what does that bring up right away? Engagements. Do you remember the imagery we just talked about? And so you can see him kind of going, yeah, okay, take the cup of redemption. Wait, well, wait, where, wait, you're, you want to, oh, oh, wait, you offer my, you offer your life? And now guess what? I have a choice. I could say no. Or I could accept that cup and say, I accept your life and I offer mine back. Do you see what he did there? It's so subtle, but it's huge. He mixes up imagery right away. It uses the most Jewish imagery. In a sense, saying, I offer you my life. And like the young woman, they have a moment of decision. And we have a moment of decision when we come to the table. Maybe next time you do communion, have Pastor Jen or Pastor Bill say, I offer, Jesus offers you his life. And you say, I accept his life. And I offer mine as well. The cup of redemption. Setting it right. That stuff gets me going. Now keep that in mind as we move, end of movement one. Second movement. Keep that in mind as we go towards the second century. Uh, it's seating customs around the table, okay? Typical table. Now notice a couple things. The tables are arranged in, in a typical Roman period time. Notice the U shape, all right? And notice there's, there's an opening on this side. That's where servants come to, to bring the meal and clear the plates and things like that. And notice everybody is around the table. Now, it's really interesting. Um, notice, the, notice the heights of the table. They're not sitting in chairs. Meals were often eaten in the reclining position. And it was customary that when you grew tired of resting on your elbow, guess what you did? And I would show this. We don't have enough room in here, but I'd make Bill do it. But I would have him get down on one elbow, and I'd get down on one elbow, and then he would recline back, and I'd put my head on his chest, and we would talk. I would, I would say to you it was the start of the ha-ha game for youth groups. But anyway. <laughs> and if you don't know that, YouTube it. You're welcome. <laughs> it was customary to rest on one's left elbow and eat with your right hand on this side of the table and reverse on the other side of the table, on your right elbow. And you'd, and you'd reach over and, and eat food and, and drink together. And it would not be uncommon to say, hey, if Bill was on one side of me, I'd say, hey, Bill, can you hand me one of those grapes? And I'd be, he'd be like laying back on my chest, and he'd reach back and go, here you go. And I'd grab it. Talk about intimacy issues for many of you, right? Yeah, and germs. You're all going like, we didn't have hand sanitizer back then. But that's how intimate it was. You would recline on one another. Now, the left wing of the table is important. Um, to the left, there was an opening that's the most important. Uh, the, 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 the norm, this table on the left side is normally occupied um, from uh, sort of the guests of honor, the most important people. Um, the left wing is, is the most important. Now, the host usually occupied the second position. See that first position? And then you see Jesus. He's the, the, the guy that's glowing, white, him. He's in the second position. That second position is very important because that's where the host sits for these meals. Why do you think the host sits in the second position and not dead center or in the first position? He sits in the second position. You're going to love this. 
Because then you can have a right and left guest. Two people could sit next to the host now, not just one. So he sits in the second position. By the way, this comes out in Scripture. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and your left hand in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink from the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant, implying there's a different host. He's not going to be the host where they're asking. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared for by my father. This is the great line, though. And when the ten heard about this, they were ticked. There was jockeying going on because you had the host and there was two positions, left and right. And these guys were going, okay, can we, can we have those? Because those are the most important positions. Now, keep that in mind. Let me go back here. Yeah, this is the one. So I, I grabbed a, a slide with some numbers so you can kind of get, get the idea here. So Jesus was the host for the meal, number two. All right, he's sitting there. Jesus was the host for the meal. And uh, it stands to reason uh, that, uh, that Jesus was reclining in the host chair, second from the left on that number two position. Now, it's pretty straightforward. Now, listen, look at this. One of them, the disciples whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. So we know who's in one of the two positions. We know who's in one or three, right? Because the disciple who Jesus loved is who? John, because John wrote this gospel, and he gets to declare who Jesus loved. <laughs> you can say, no, you weren't there. Now, if we're alert, these two verses tell us if John was on the right or the left hand of Jesus, because on the, uh, you, have the, 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 you have a position that's the guest of honor and then the secondary guest of honor. The guest of honor sits to the right of the host in the number one position, all right? The second most honored sits to the left in the number three position. Now, if you're alert, these two verses tell us if John was on the right or left hand. Verse 25 indicates that Jesus was able to lean back against Jesus and ask him, Lord, who is it? When Jesus said, who's going to betray me? The, the disciple Jesus loved leaned back onto Jesus. So he knows that he, we know he's in the number three position because he's going to lay back on Jesus, not the other way around. Do you see what I'm saying? So we know he's in the secondary guest of honor position. We know that's where John is. Jesus is the host. John's in the secondary position. So we now know John was reclining in that in that, that position. John was on the right hand of Jesus, who was the host of the family. By the way, I just told you backwards. Three is the guest of honor. One is the secondary. So we know he's in the right. The guest of honor is three. I apologize to you. Switch those around. There's, re there's hygienic reasons why that's there, and I won't go into it. See me afterwards. But if you're a lefty, you're not really seen fond of throughout scriptures. All right? Except if you're stabbing people. That's another story. But anyway... Bottom line is, so we know that John was in that third position, in the secondary guest of honor. That's where he was. Pretty straightforward. Now, according to scriptures, who were the inner circle of Jesus? Who was his inner circle? We know John was one of them. Peter and James. So does it stand to reason that James or Peter would probably be in one of those positions? Does that stand to reason? That, that maybe that, so it's logical to assume that Peter or James would be on, on, on 
right to Jesus' left in the guest of honor position. In fact, Luke 22.8 might even indicate that it would be Peter because it was John and Peter, they were the ones sent to prepare the meal, right? And if John is sitting in the secondary position, why wouldn't Peter be in the guest of honor position? Stands to reason. John is on the right, so why wouldn't Peter be on the left? But here's why I don't think that's the case. Simon Peter motioned to his disciples and said, he motioned to John and said, who is it? Ask him who he means. Who's the one? So remember, Jesus leans back on, John leans back onto Jesus and says, hey, who's going to betray you? Now, here's the interesting thing. In order for him to do that, to to make eye contact and motion, it's likely Peter was in number four. There's direct eye contact then. Remember how they were laying? Now they can see each other, and he can go, yo, yo, John, John, Jesus is not looking right now, but ask him. Ask him who is it. I think I know who it is, but just check check it out, will you? So we think he's there. This would indicate that that Peter had to be in a position where he could make eye contact with John, and this would most likely put him opposite of John in number four. And this is where it gets interesting. That last spot is the spot you don't want to be in. Because the first spot... Guest of honor, right? Second spot, host. Third spot, secondary guest of honor. And then they're ranked in importance all the way around until number four. Number four is called the servant seat. This was the person responsible for overseeing the meal and making sure that it went off without a hitch, that the servants brought in the various courses at the right time and cleared the seats at the right time and cleared the table at the right time. This person was responsible for one other thing too. Guess what? They were responsible for, before the meal, to wash every guest's feet. Here's another reason why I think Peter's in number four. This person was responsible to wash the feet of the guests before the meal, before the meal began. And this person would begin with the host, number two, then the guest of honor, then the secondary guest of honor, and then work their way around the table, washing everyone's feet before the meal. Now, John's account is pretty interesting. Look what, how John says happened. Then Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, but it implies it's the last one. Not only do we, can we make it that he had to make eye contact that way, but he wasn't in the guest of honor position. And we know Peter to be what? Pretty impulsive, pretty passive-aggressive too. I don't think he washed their feet. And so Jesus gets up and starts washing the feet. Coupled with the motion to John, and he's probably not too happy about not on the right or left, this custom of sitting in the final seat as a server at the beginning of the meal he was supposed to wash. Jesus gets up, and in the middle of the meal, he starts washing his feet. And, and I think this is even more true as you dig into the passage more. He starts going around the table. Think about that. He goes around the table. He's washing their feet. And if you're Peter, what are you thinking as each person gets their feet washed? And he moves closer to you. And he moves closer to you. What is Peter thinking? I didn't do it. I didn't do what I was supposed to do. And Jesus is getting closer and closer. And how do I, I, I know he was at the last position? Because look what happens when he gets to Peter. He came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, 
Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you'll never wash my feet. What's, what's driving him right now? He's shamed. He's ashamed. Literally, every time he washed someone's feet and got closer, he was, I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to do that. I was supposed to do that. Then he gets to him, and he goes, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. And Jesus goes, oh, yes, I am. Oh, you bet I'm going to wash them. My interpretation. <laughs> you shall never wash my feet. Unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Then look at Simon's response. Then give me a shower. <laughs> like, I'm serious. I just, I am so ashamed. Dump the basin. I don't care if it's washed 12 feet ahead of me. Just do it. Cleanse me. I blew it. I think Peter was in the servant seat. I think not only because he could make eye contact and say, hey, who's the ones that, but, but this scene, Jesus is doing a great object lesson here. Peter, next time I tell you to do something, I don't care whether it's red or green, do it. So, in my estimation, this is Peter's shame working, watching Jesus do the very humbling thing that he was supposed to do above all. So, I guess the question becomes, who was in the guest of honor spot, right? So who's in the guest of honor spot? It's pretty easy. In fact, the scriptures are very clear. If you understood seating at the time and you understood the rituals at the time, you would know who was the guest of honor. He was sitting in that third position, the guest of honor for the Last Supper, Believe it or not, this disciple is the easiest to identify because it was the custom for the host during the Passover meal at some time to dip a piece of bread in the main course, it's called the sop, and offer it to the guest on which he was reclining, reaching back. Jesus answered, it's the one to whom I will give this piece of bread, the sop, when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the dish in the bread, he gave it to Judas son of Iscariot, in the guest of honor spot. Judas is the guest of honor at the Last Supper. Judas is the guest of honor at the Last Supper. Betrayed by his kiss, Jesus honors Judas at his last meal. Betrayed by his kiss, Jesus rests his head on the chest of his betrayer. Betrayed by his kiss, Jesus can literally hear Judas's heartbeat. Literally. Though aware of this, with his kiss, with the betrayer's kiss, he says, and even though I know you're going to betray me, Judas, I honor you. I feed you. I recline on your chest. I hear your heartbeat. You are my honored guest. Though aware of Jesus' planned betrayal, the host, Jesus, 
extended him all honor and dignity. With the agony of the cross before him, the host Jesus lays his head on the very chest of the one who will betray him. The head of forgiveness, mercy, love, and grace rests on the chest of betrayal and listens to betrayal's heartbeat. That's the heart of the one who says, come to this table. So the next time you come to this table, you don't need an immigration officer's desk to cut you off the plane to make you go, uh-oh. What you need to remember is when Pastor Bill or Pastor Jen turns and says, I offer you my life, if he would put Judas in the, host of, in the guest of honor seat, can you imagine how he feels about you? Can you even begin to get a depth about that? Can you get an understand that Jesus says, I'm offering you my life, please, and you have an option at that moment. Say, I, I, I accept your life, and I offer mine as well, and I put my head, the betrayer, I, 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 Jesus, put your head right here, and listen to my heart. Listen to it beat. And thank you for honoring me when I don't deserve to even be at the servant seat. That's what happens at this table. And that ends the third movement of this particular teaching lesson. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus Christ, you sit at this table, and we come not because we have to, <laughs> we come because we get to. We come because we don't have a right to, 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 to say we get to come to that table. We come because we get to. We come not to this table because we, we think we're so righteous. It's the exact opposite. We know we're not, and that's why we come to this table. We come messy and broken and not even sure if we believe you are who you are, not even understanding all that you say, but, but still compelled to be near you. And then we lay back and we feel your head on our chest and we wonder, why? Why would we be given such a gift of intimacy with you, the creator of life? Yet we do. You feed us. You sustain us. You listen to our heartbeat. So the next time, Jesus, when you offer your life, give me the courage to say, yes, I accept your life. And I offer mine as well. We pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.